This episode of the Cold Shower Podcast is brought to you by coldshowergoods.com. It is your one-stop shop for all things cold shower. We have written blogs, we have our podcast episodes, and then we also have our apparel line. So stay up to date on any new developments by going to coldshowergoods.com. All right, guys, thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Cold Shower Podcast. I want to give a brief introduction before we get started on this episode. My guests today are my mom and dad, and the reason I wanted to bring them on is because they have a very powerful and very unique story to share in regards to how they got their start and what their marriage has looked like, some of the trials and tribulations that they've faced, and I wanted to get their perspective on a lot of that stuff from their lens rather than just my own as a child that was in the home throughout a lot of these events. So it was really a cool time for me to get to ask them some questions and get to sit down with them in a forum uh, that I haven't gotten to do that with. I was you know, looking both of my parents in the eye and getting uh, some of these stories firsthand from them. And so it was really something that I'm glad I got the opportunity to do. They share a lot of uh, great advice and tactics and things that they've employed in their marriage to remain happy and successful. And I think that it's going to really help a lot of people out um, with their own relationship and what are things that you can take from what they have to say and implement in your own friendships, your own marriage, so that you can achieve longevity and happiness in that relationship. One little forewarning is that it does get emotional at times. I don't think that it's compromising the audio or the sound of our voice at all, but uh, I'm guilty as well. There was one point where I teared up a little bit, but... Really, I'm just glad that I have this type of relationship with my parents where they're willing to get on an episode with me and share their story. And I just want to say that any success that I ever find as a husband or as a future father um, is really largely due to the, the impact that they've had on my life. I hope that you guys enjoy this interview. Thank you for being on the show. This is a pleasure for me, something that I'm really looking forward to. So thank you for doing this. Um, let's start with introductions. So dad, we'll jump to you first. Hi, I'm Todd, Taylor's dad, and I've been married to your special guest for 34 years. Mom? And I'm Misty, the other half of this marriage. And as Todd said, we've been married for 34 years and we have five children, all of them sons that range in age from the oldest, who's going to be 34 on Wednesday, all the way down to an 18-year-old. Yeah, quite the um, age gap there. So I'll explain a little bit of why I have you guys on. You are aware, because I brought this up to you beforehand, but for the listeners, um, you have been the single biggest um, example of what I believe is a successful and good marriage. Um, and then, of course, I include my in-laws uh, in that as well. So I'm very lucky that I have uh, married someone who has had an awesome example her entire life, uh, but then also uh, me more directly. And so I had a previous episode in which uh, my wife and I, Abby, who has been on the show a couple times, did our episode kind of outlining our relationship and some of the things that um, we have done, I think, to make sure that we're happy and effective and um really just having what I think is a successful uh, marriage and one that is going to allow it to continue 
um, for years to come. And a lot of those skills and those tactics and those traits I picked up from you guys. And so now I want to get your opinion on some of that stuff. But first, I want you guys to share a little bit about your history as you're both children of divorce. And you've come from having that happen at a couple of different ages. So if you could just explain a little bit of your story and your background um, of what it looked like for you being a child of divorce. So whoever wants to start can go. Okay, I'll start first. Um, we both are coming from a little bit different situations with our divorce as far as the age that we were when our parents got a divorce. So I was little. I My sister was around two, two and a half, and I was about four and a half when my parents were divorced. And my biological dad was an alcoholic, uh, drug abuser, and just into a lot of pretty bad stuff. And so I don't remember a ton of that being as young as I was, but I do remember um, leaving and having mom go and take care of my sister and I and the things that went along with uh, her being a single parent for a while. And then she met my dad, who's my dad now. And so I was probably six or so when they got married. And for all intents and purposes, he he's my dad. Uh, he later ended up um, adopting my sister and I. And uh, they have, so I basically grew up in a home that had a very stable marriage. Um, had some of the things that most kids have issues with as far as uh, the visitations with the biological dad and the continuing alcoholism and stuff like that. But on my biological dad's side of the family, there also was a fantastic family. And so I did have a great relationship with the grandparents and aunts and uncles and things on that side and still do. So I was very blessed in that. Um, that's some of the scoop on my side. You want to share yours? Yeah, well, for my side, uh, my parents didn't um, <clears throat> divorce until I was 16, but it was uh, a marriage that you know began because uh, you know they basically got pregnant for me in high school, and in that day and age, uh, you got married and, and and did the right thing. So both of my parents are are great people. Uh, my dad is one of the most uh, hardworking men that I that I've ever met. Uh, but they did not have the, a solid foundation uh, for their marriage. So there was a lot of struggle, a lot of strife uh, over the years. And it, it you know, basically boiled down to uh, when I was a teen that they, that they finally split up. And for me, the uh, difficulty with that from being a young child, knowing that your folks aren't getting along and knowing that there's problems... Um, you know, sometimes you wonder what's the cause and, and um, you know, so I was basically wondering, was it me? You know, was there something I've done? And I think a lot of children of divorce uh, experience that and do that. So uh, basically that whole experience growing up uh, led to me uh, really being the kind of uh, young person that was always searching, searching for something to fill that hole. Um, that, you know, probably wanted to be filled by my dad. And because of that relationship, uh, I sided more with my mom. And my brother sided more with my father. And um, so that kind of led to some of the decisions that I chose to make as a, as a teenager and as a young man. But that's a 
that's another story. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. This is really cool for me as the host of the show because some of this I know, but literally some of it I do not know. I did not know that grandma and grandpa were pregnant with you in high school. So I'm learning this stuff as the listeners are, and, and that's what's going to make this episode so cool. Um, the reason I wanted to start with that is because you guys are what you just outlined um, in terms of coming from um, divorced parents. You guys are on such an opposite end of the spectrum with that. And I know that it's taken a great deal of work and um, a shared faith and all those types of things. And so I want to kind of break that down um, a little bit, but we had to start with kind of where you guys came from. And so now let's jump into a little bit about um, how you guys first met, age, where it was, all that type of stuff. So whoever wants to go. Well, basically we were in high school, senior year, right? Mm -hmm. He started chasing me around. That's how I remember it anyway. Yes, there's two sides of that story, but go ahead. So we, he went to Akron Fairgrove, and I went to USA. So I lived in Unionville. He lived in Fairgrove. And we had some mutual friends who started doing some activities together. And so we basically um, met through some girls at my school who knew some, a guy at his school and started doing some group activities. And he started flirting with me and finally got the guts to ask me out and Took it away from there. Yeah. Let's hear the other side. Well, um, a lot of that is true. I remember, uh, well, first of all, I went to a small high school, and Misty's high school was about twice as big as mine, and I had been in a, a long-term relationship in high school with a, a pretty popular uh, girl, and when that ended, um, it was a little bit hard to kind of find a date in, in my high school, and my buddy went to the neighboring high schools, which were only less than, you know, probably 20 miles apart. And uh, he came back to school and he's like, you would not believe how pretty the girls are at USA High School. And of course, me and a few of my friends were like, all right, let's go check this out. So we went to a basketball game over there and in December or something of our senior year. And he was right. <laughs> there were all these pretty girls. And somehow we ended up at um, somebody's house and we're down in their in their basement and it's a whole bunch of high school kids and having fun and playing music and she is flirting with me like you would not believe <laughs> trying to steal my shoe and I'm trying to get my shoe back and I you know basically you know I kind of had to the big flirting move right there right. you know. had to figure that out <laughs> so anyway um, that's how we we met was through friends uh, but I do want to say that one of the things that struck me about your mom beyond her uh, physical appearance, uh, she was beautiful, uh, was also the, the way she carried herself, was really appealing. Uh, she was very independent. I wouldn't say cocky, but very sure of herself. And it was really strange how appealing that was to me, in addition to the fact that she was a fox, mm -hmm. to use the 80s term. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah, definitely some similarities in that in that story and, and a few differences um, probably would be just like if you asked uh, Abby and I how we first met and what that interaction was like um, I think the truth is definitely somewhere in the middle probably with that stuff um, so can you take us to uh, the end of high school this is where I get 
um, a little mixed up is just the whole timeline of some of the major changes that were taking place in your guys' lives at that time. You were ending high school, some other things were happening. Um, can you share what those things were and at what time those things were taking place? Yeah, so we started dating in what had been February of our senior year. And then, of course, graduated from high school and it came, you know, we were figuring out what colleges to go to and things like that. Um, both ended up choosing to go to Saginaw Valley. I was going on a tennis scholarship. He was going there for business. Um, you can jump in if you want to add things as I go along here. Yeah. And so went, headed out there in September and started going through our freshman year of college. And I remember just starting to have a little bit of our first hiccups in our relationship as far as, you know, some minor fights and then we would break up, but then we'd get back together again and just kind of working through some of that process. We were both living in the dorms at the time. Yep, yep, it was, uh, there was some fun not so fun moments and I remember one of the moments that really um, I fell hard for your mom and so <clears throat> I was uh, looking at at this situation and, and being like this girl is um, somebody I could see this being really really long term um, and there was one day that I didn't know this or I missed it somewhere along the line but she's like Oh yeah, I'm gonna be transferring to CMU, and boy, as an insecure person, based on what I shared earlier, you know mm -hmm. that was one of the side effects or the or the issues with uh, kind of my my upbringing in terms of not having that solid family background. I was insecure, and so the her her leaving Saginaw Valley really blew me away, and she used this phrase that we joke about. Um, that I absolutely hate, but how does that go if it's set it free and if, if it's you your... love me, set it free if it comes back. Oh, so it's meant to be. Or <laughs> I hated that when yeah. she. When, that was what she said to me after she uh, rolled that news out to me. So it's an original quote from mom, I think. <laughs> oh boy, boy, boy. Um, <clears throat> but the the events that were happening um, that that led to our situation is that. Uh, we had different belief systems in terms of uh, your mom, very strong uh, Christian, uh, being raised in the church and being raised in a good home, um, and her set of values were very different than mine. I was not uh, raised in a Christian home. I didn't share that same faith background. So our physical relationship was, I was always pushing pushing, pushing, and um, we finally started crossing lines uh, that I don't think mom had intended to cross uh, in the fall of our freshman year of college, and by January or February of our freshman year, we were, we were pregnant. Mm -hmm. So classic situation of, I think I found a girl that I want to get married to and start a family with, and got the order mixed up. Right. So we... Um... Like Todd said, I was raised in a Christian home, had um, strong beliefs that I was going to wait until I got married to have sex. But being in a relationship with somebody who I loved, cared about very much, and having him 
pushing those boundaries. I personally did not um, stand up to that and wasn't able to stand up to that. And so we, we did have sex and there was a whole um, turmoil even within our relationship of that process of, of dealing with that and the, the guilt that I felt because as a young Christian and not even, and even prior to being pregnant because the, the struggle for me wasn't just a pregnancy out of wedlock. The struggle for me was that I had sex um, before I was married. And so there were those issues before we got married that we were um, kind of wading our way through that was challenging. And so then all of a sudden, you know, boom, we're pregnant. February of 1984. Yeah. So. Yeah. Take it from there. Yeah, so um, that was the thing that Abby and I had talked about in our episode too is just the importance of like shared beliefs and how I think we're fortunate in that sense that we both grew up with similar backgrounds based in the church. And so that wasn't something that we had to sort through like initially. It was just something that we just were like, this is going to be a part of our lives. And so there were a couple hiccups for you guys, not just outside of the pregnancy, but um, kind of maybe figuring out where you stand on some of those beliefs too and how difficult that would be, especially in like a really young relationship where, I don't know, you can correct me, but maybe one person's more mature than the other. Um, and if those, if that growth isn't always happening at the same time, which it doesn't, um, it can just be really challenging. So we know where you guys were, how old you were, what, what all that looked like. Um, can you explain your initial reactions, um, to what had happened and maybe some of the decisions that you had to make after you got the news of the pregnancy? So the, going back to the finding out of when we found out that I was pregnant was we were still living at the dorms at Saginaw Valley and I of course was like I think I might be pregnant. We went to the local store down on Bay Road and bought a pregnancy test and that evening um, I remember just staying at Todd's dorm and we're like we're just gonna we're gonna take this pregnancy test after everybody goes to bed and see how it it comes out and so everybody you know was in in bed in the dorms and I remember going in the bathroom and seeing that line come up positive that I was pregnant and walking back into his dorm room and was like oh my gosh I can't believe this and there's an 800 number on the box and so I thought, maybe I didn't do this right. So I called the 800 number just to see if by chance, maybe I didn't pee on it right or something. So uh, they um, confirmed that they thought it sounded like I did uh, do it properly. So there we were figuring out, okay, which parents do we tell? How do we tell them? And all of that stuff. And so we decided to contact my mom first. And so we called her and just said, I need you to come over to Saginaw Valley. I think she was speculating something. I mean, she knew from my phone conversation that something big was going on. I think she at one point thought maybe I wrecked the truck that dad had given me to take to college or this possibility flashed through her mind. But she came up that evening. Todd came over to my dorm. And I remember sitting on my bed with her next to me and um, 
breaking the news to her that I was pregnant. And I don't know, do you remember anything different than that? Uh, no, I remember your mom was great. Uh, she was super supportive and, you know, expecting to get the, you know, screamed at or, you know, uh, that kind of treatment. And, and she was very supportive, very understanding. And basically, um, you know, I mean, we were trying every trick in the book, like, can we pray this away? I mean, is there, does this, you know, could not be possible? And your mom was so funny. She's like, uh, listen, guys, there's just certain physical laws that, that exist. And you know what, you, th this is where you're at. You're going to have to, you're going to have to move forward. <laughs> and, uh, that was just, um, uh, it was a very difficult night, but it was a real blessing, uh, how your mom, how your mom reacted. I want to jump into it's so weird because I can think back to when I was 18 and how you just feel so wise and you think that you have all this stuff figured out and you don't really get disproven really until something major happens it seems like and it all comes to a head but it's so weird for me right now because I lived in like the same dorms as you guys I went to the same <laughs> college they did not update those dorms since yeah. you guys were there and so I'm, I can see perfectly this conversation taking place like on my bunk where mm -hmm. I stayed my right. freshman year yep. where we would I would end up going a little more traditional route with my life but it's just strange just yeah. feeling like I could be there right now but so um after that breaking the news then we slowly uh, break the news to our to our other parents and and uh, I want to share a couple things, but Misty, I hope you'll share the story of your dad's ultimate uh, reaction. That was, uh, that's pretty cool. But uh, we struggled mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, Misty made it very clear early on, I am going to have this, this baby. So that any of those other options are just off, off the table. So, you know, the real concern or issue was, how are we going to move forward, you know, as a couple with this? And so we had parents who were very uh, strong opinions. And, you know, my mom in particular is like, hey, you guys shouldn't get married. You know, your dad and I tried it and it didn't work. And um, actually Misty's mom and dad, her biological dad, I mean, they were the similar situation and that didn't work. So we had that kind of news creeping in. And as the guy who's a chicken looking for the way out I'm like well maybe I can ride the fence here and I'm telling Misty hey let's finish our degree and we'll get married later and I will be involved in in our child's life and and we had this big family powwow at my mom's house and I tell you it was tense um and the mama I'm just wondering if I should yeah. jump in because earlier ahead. go ahead yeah. earlier that day is when we had to tell my dad oh yeah tell that and mm -hmm. so then we'll um, go from the there. Yeah, get the order going here. So after we told my mom, she didn't, we decided not to tell my dad right away until we knew for sure. And I know that was, had to have been the longest several days of my mom's life, um, keeping that from my dad. Um, but we wanted to go and go to the doctor and get the, the for sure. And so we did. And then it was like, okay, we know for sure, let's tell dad. And for me, at that point, I started to start spending, come home and spend some time, some evenings at home and commute to college. And so on the night, 
prior to when I knew we were going to tell dad, I went home and I remember sleeping on the couch because we had some foster um, sisters in the house at the time. And so they were in the bedroom that I used to sleep in. And so I was sleeping on the couch and I was facing mom and dad's bedroom, knowing that this next morning, this, I was going to need to tell dad. And my turmoil in that was that I was the oldest. I generally made very good decisions growing up. I did not do any drinking and partying and messing around with other guys <laughs> until Todd came along. <laughs> um, I just, that wasn't my scene. I was a very strong Christian and I had kind of this um, perception of myself that I was trying to live up to that was too perfect, I'm sure, and thought everybody else sort of viewed me as that too, as the oldest child. And so telling my dad, I was just like, this is going to break his heart. And how do I do that to my dad? I'm his little girl and I think he thinks I'm perfect. And so I remember laying on that couch and in the morning the door opened and I could hear mom and dad come out and I just pretended I was sleeping still and I could see them walk across into the kitchen. I could hear um, some small talk that sounded normal and then all of a sudden I could hear like hushed tones. And mom and I had decided the night before that she would be the one to tell dad and then I would talk to him after. So I knew once the hushed tones happened that mom was telling dad at that point. And so I just laid there on the couch frozen and pretending I was sleeping and praying, how, how can, this, can this just go away? And then I remember hearing my dad's footsteps as he walked across the floor and came down into the living room. And he sat on the couch next to me. And I was like, I can't pretend I'm sleeping anymore. And he sat down on that couch, had a box of Kleenex in his hands, and just said, Mom said that you're going to need these. And he handed me a Kleenex, and he swooped me up in his arms, and he just hugged me. And we both cried, of course, and had our time there. And he said he loved me. And then being the dad he was and being a man, he sat up and he said, Vic, Misty, let's give the Kramers a call. We're heading over there to talk this out and see what's going to happen from here. <laughs> and that leads us to the meeting that Todd was um, it leads talking to the about parent, here. The parent powwow. Let me and, jump in before that. Uh, because I had Grandpa on an episode. Yeah. Um, I think it was episode eight. So if you guys haven't listened to that one, go back and check it out. But um, cool for me to think about this too and try to imagine myself there because from the episode and the interview I did, you can get the sense that Grandpa's just this man of tradition and of value and almost of rigidity and discipline and all these type of things that make him such a great person. Um, but for him to have the ability and the wisdom to sense that that was how he needed to react to that at that time um, really speaks even more to the type of person, the type of father that he is and the type of grandfather that, right. that he's been too. And so I just wanted to share that. But he led the charge on this powwow with all the parents together. So what'd that look like? And that powwow didn't include Todd's dad. We had to go there after that, but it included my mom and dad. And then, and when I say dad, I mean dad, (laughs) 
not my biological dad. But um, your dad. But my dad. And um, Todd's mom. And then the two of us. Yeah, so we're having this discussion, and actually Misty and I did very little talking as the, the parents were talking, was basically the mother hens um, protecting their chicks. And, and it got real intense, and not a lot got accomplished. And at one point, Misty's dad, Larry, says to me, hey, uh, let's go outside. And you got to remember, he's 42 years old, six foot four, ex-army farmer. I mean, he could, he could kill me in a heartbeat. <laughs> and he wants me to go outside and, and, and talk to him. And um, This was the first time that you've seen him since he found out. Yes, yeah. and I was happy that he didn't kill me right away. <laughs> um, so we go outside, and he basically lays some real wisdom uh, on, a, on a really foolish 18-year-old boy when he said, Look, um, you need to either be in or you need to be out because there's no middle of the road here. And that was also uh, basically uh, what your mom said to me because I was a foolish 18 year old looking for the easy way out, scared out of my mind. And, and she said to me, look, I'm gonna have this child, I'm gonna raise this child, but you have a choice to make. You're either in or you're out. Uh, if you're in, then let's do this. Let's get married and let's do this. And if you're not, you need to leave. And that's going to break my heart. But I can't have you part way, all or nothing. And um, I'm glad that she said that. Mm -hmm. uh, that was the key moment, I think, of my life. And I love this girl. And um, I was going to love this baby. And so I said, okay, here we go. And so later on that spring, I scraped together 200 bucks, and I think I bought the cheapest ring that the jewelry store had. It was a chip of a chip of a diamond, and had a probably pretty lame <laughs> proposal. <laughs> and they put a wedding together and in a barn, and, and a reception in the barn, and marriage at our little church, and um, the, the adventure began. We had, um, for me, that was probably one of the most difficult things to do. I knew he was wavering. He had talked to me before, and he, him and his roommate had been talking, and they were trying to figure out these different scenarios that we could do. You know, we could all pitch in and get a house and, you know, these different things that involved us not getting married. Um, and I was just had the conviction of I'm I can't do that I'm I won't do that, and so it wasn't something that was like a woman um, trying to beg her way or manipulate her way into something. It, it wasn't um, coming from that. It was coming from I love you like crazy and I want to make a life from you. This isn't the order that we wanted to happen. But um, this is, you know, this is where I'm at. And so thankfully, he, um, he thought about that and, and he ended up proposing, which was pretty exciting. $200 ring, still love it. And um, so I'm trying to think of what, where to go from there. Well, I got 
questions for you too. Um, so like once you guys decided to get married, you're still very young. Um, so we could even skip ahead to when you guys were married. Um, like what were the major concerns or was that, um, the point where maybe you started looking towards the future? So was there more hope? Was there looking at what possibilities there were for a future? You guys weren't just like packing it in thinking, you know, it's just going to barely scrape by. Like you did something that I don't think many people could have pulled off, which is you continued to go to school, right? Yep. And you worked and you had a kid in college and all these things. So what, what was going through your head in terms of hopes, dreams, possibilities? Well, the, fortunately for us, our, our parents <clears throat> were, were supportive and Misty's dad is very practical. And so we had great advice right from the beginning, which is you need a place to live, you need to get a job. Um, and, and Misty and I had made the decision that we would uh, continue our education, that there would be no, no stopping. Um, and, and so, you know, basically um, I was able to, uh, through my future brother-in-law, <laughs> I was able to find a, a summer job uh, that paid pretty well. Um, I worked at Parts Warehouse in Bay City in the summer of 1984 for $7.69 an hour, and that was a good wage uh, in, that, in that day. And so I worked third shift, and so we had the job. Um, and I remember leaving work on a Friday, and I, and I saying, hey, what are you doing this weekend? And I'm like, I'm getting married tomorrow. <laughs> and I had to be back to work on a Sunday night. I worked third shift. Wow. And that was, that was our life. And that was the same thing for me because we knew we were going to get married and we knew I was going to have a baby. So I thought that I, that fall I wasn't going to be able to go full-time, so I needed to pick up some summer classes. And there was no question with any of our four parents about continuing college. They were all like, you guys, this is the dirt. We need to do whatever we can do to get you guys to finish college. And, and that's what we wanted to do. And so I was taking a class that summer or two because I knew we were going to have the baby in the fall. And so I had a, a class also on Friday, and I remember sitting there thinking, I'm going to go, and I wasn't talking to anybody in that class. It was, it was just so strange that I was sitting there. I'm single, and then I showed up the next week, and I was married and just continued on with the class. And that's how we started. But there really was not a question that we were going to continue going. And there also, because I was on tennis scholarship, um, the two of us talked it over. And it was like, I would keep playing tennis. And so I, what I, I missed that fall because... Um, Stephen was born the end of October, and so I didn't get to play in the fall, but stayed on the team and was back playing again so that I could play the districts in, in May. Um, so because of that tennis scholarship, you know, was able to kind of make that my job. So that was my income was paying for college that way. And then he was working at the warehouse to pay our housing bills and things like that. Yeah, so it was a very practical approach. Uh, you need housing, you need a job, you need a car. So there happened to be where the first people to live in these new apartments they built in Unionville, which were income-based. Mm -hmm. So great for us. Um, Misty's family had a 
an extra vehicle. So that got gifted uh, to us. So we had wheels and uh, we worked and uh, I worked at that job from 1984 to 1987 uh, working third shift you know as a janitor mm -hmm. and as a parts picker um, and that's how we made it through our first few years and and I and we just knew that we needed to, to get through our degree and um, try to get that done at the same time that we're um, building this life with this uh, this baby mm -hmm. And that's my older brother that they're talking about. So he was on a couple episodes of mine. So he, it's his birthday on Wednesday. He'll be 34. Um, so this stuff was all happening quite a while ago. Dad, I want to say to you, um, as I was growing up, and they were maybe at some point you guys were sharing stories of early life before I was born, um, it was really hard for me to understand what third shift meant. So you might share that story. And I'm like, people work at night? Like, I don't get what that means. What does that even mean? <laughs> And then just like the older I got, it almost turned into like a superpower. It was like, I can't believe my dad did that to make all this work. And um, so I just wanted to share that with you, that it was something really weird to wrap my head around. And then I still, I, I still consider it like a superpower that you did that. Um, so once you guys um, were married, how, throughout your marriage, how was the maturation process looked? So we kind of know where you guys stood earlier. Mom, maybe you were a little more mature than dad. Um, I think the decisions you guys made because you had the guidance of, of your parents were probably pretty mature decisions, but getting married at 18, 19 years old is only the start. There's a ton to learn between then. So I got married at 24 and I think that that was early and I was six <laughs> years older, five years older than you guys. What, what did those first years look like together? Oh, I, they were a blur. A blur of classes, a blur of driving at night and working all night and changing diapers and um, going to school for you and well how do you how do you cultivate like a marriage out of that like mm -hmm. a relationship where you actually like love enjoy one another how does right. that even happen I don't think there was any <clears throat> question about our our love for each other and then with both of us coming from uh, the broken homes, like we, we said earlier, even though Todd wasn't a strong Christian at that point, um, he still had a strong commitment to wanting to be committed in this marriage. And so we both did go into this, like, we're not, the timing isn't the way we wanted, but we are going to stay married. And this is a commitment. And I, I know that obviously everybody who goes <laughs> and takes the, the wedding vows, they plan on staying married. married. But um, for us, we made this commitment, like the D word is just never going to come into our conversation. We're going to figure out how to make this work. And of course, had its ups and downs. I know there were people who saw us get married, who we even go, go to church with still, who were like, I remember going to you guys' weddings when you were 18 and 19 years old and shaking my head and thinking, what are they doing? You know, there's no way they're going to make it. And he's like, here you guys are now, you know, in church um, still. And so I think even though we were young, we had this strong commitment and we had the ability to figure out what was important in the life of the other person 
and do a lot of give and take. I mean, I think mm-hmm. we've really um, figured out there's a lot of small stuff out there that doesn't need to be argued about. And as you watch people's marriages, it's like, why are they arguing about that? Like, what does that have to do with anything long term? So I think we figured out really young how to just give in to those things. The things that would maybe irritate me about him, just be like, in the long term, you know, why don't I just figure out how to deal with that instead of making a big deal of that? And so we've continued sort of to do that. Um, and then maturity wise and spiritually, I think that I was, got married and it was like, we're going to raise our kids in a Christian home. And so I didn't do a lot of asking him as far as, oh, should we go to church or anything like that? It was just sort of an expectation and he was really moldable and I'm not saying he was, a I could he was somebody that was a doormat and that you'd walk over him at all. He was um, so like, I don't know how you would explain yourself, but you were, you didn't mind that I just had this expectation of when it was Sunday morning, the alarm was going to be set. We were going to get Stephen up and off to church we would go. And he didn't question that. He just did it, well, even there, though that wasn't familiar with Yeah, him. there was a, a, a little time there where I was really kind of dragging my feet. And I remember again, your dad, 6'4", ex-army, and he he made a comment one time about how important it was that, you know, I don't know if, if I was dragging my feet on a, uh, on a few weekends or, or what, but he made a comment, and it's like, you know, it was very convicting. It was very convicting. <laughs> so we had, it was, it was like every turn there was someone speaking uh, into our life that were helping us to, to get where we ultimately are, whether it was supportive family but family who are also to to say the hard things like uh you know todd guess what get a job or join the service i mean this is what you got to do because this is you made your bed you got to lie in it you know and it's like yeah right and we need people speaking like that into our into our lives um but also um i enjoyed seeing what Misty and her family had that that I didn't have growing up so I was moldable in terms of she had something through her faith that was so attractive like I like I mentioned before and I I was searching I I believed in God but I didn't have that faith in, in Christ that she ultimately had and and I remember being at the mall in Bay City when there was a mall in Essexville and I got Steven in a stroller and I'm pushing him around and Misty's shopping and I'm like every other man when you walk into the mall all of a sudden you're tired and cranky and you want to leave and this guy's like hey can I talk to you and I'm like sure I'm bored out of my mind you know what do you want to talk about and he starts witnessing to me and sharing about faith in Christ and he ultimately asked me the question says hey you know do you think you're going to go to heaven and I said hey that's my goal you know and I'm thinking in my mind, yeah, that's my goal. I'm married to this great Christian gal. I want what she has. We're starting to go to church. Uh, I'm, I'm meeting people. I'm seeing people with families that I want to have. And um, he was just very disappointed in, in my answer because I thought I could earn my way. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, that led to me uh, starting my life to Christ. And then that really made me uh, moldable and eager to grow and, and learn. But the other thing I want to mention is that 
Um, we got married in a rush, but we did go through marriage counseling, just a, a couple meetings with our Misty's pastor. And he asked a question that um, really made me think, and, and that's that this child is innocent. This child did not ask to have parents that can't stand each other or that are fighting or that whatever. And so part of it was not only um, I want to do this because I love this woman, but part of it is I don't want my child to experience what I experienced. So, hey, I made a vow, and it may not always be easy, but I'm going to honor that vow, and I'm going to let this kid have something you know that I didn't have. And um, so that's just... I think something that kind of maybe helped us in the early stage where there's a lot of stress and, and a lot of problems really have solid footing that maybe some couples, you know, don't have that conviction or don't have that commitment or don't understand that commitment. And the other thing um, I think that really helped is that um, your mom's an excellent communicator. Um, we were able to make decisions together. We were able to talk about options and, and able to set goals and, and really set goals in a way that we were building and lifting each other up. And so uh, she wanted to be a teacher, great, you know, let, let's do that, take the classes. When you gotta do student teaching, we'll figure out how to care for the kid. I'm gonna be a business major, um, you know, so do the things that I need to do. So there always was a propping each other up and, and building each other up that was very important to us uh, right from the beginning. And I, th I think what you said about having people in your life um, to support you is, is huge too. I just would say to young people who are married, you know, find those people who have the same belief system as you to surround yourself with. One of my key things when we were young in our marriage and had young kids, um, even after you were born, Taylor, and now you're best friends with some of those kids, was me surrounding myself with other moms and just that weekly time with them to be able to talk about marriage and life and kids and because there's some some challenges in there that that you just need to have some good solid friendships and people you can really count on and not ones um, who are feeding negative things into your life and so unfortunately I think nowadays a lot of times uh, people are are friends with somebody but the friend is feeding them information that's saying oh man I can't believe that your husband did that to you what a jerk you know why don't you get out or something like that and they make it a negative thing and start feeding off of that which ends up tearing apart the marriage more instead of you know finding those people who are invested in you making it work mm -hmm. I just think that's a huge thing yeah, there's there's a lot of wisdom that you and Abby shared <clears throat> on your podcast about your relationship where you talk about, I mean, to make a marriage work, uh, it, it, it's just like parenting. It's just like a, a faith relationship is you have to make the other person more important. Uh, you have to build them up. You have to lift them up, whether uh, it's your coworkers, whether it's your teammates, uh, whether it's your spouse, whether it's your kids. And, and sometimes that requires some self-sacrifice. That might require some times where um, I'm going to need to step back for a little bit and I'm going to need to invest in, in my spouse. I'm going to need to invest in my kids. I'm going to need to, to work a little harder on this area or I'm going to have to put my needs secondary 
um, for a while, knowing that in this partnership, the favor is going to be returned. And, and, and that's the, the beauty that I think we've been able to experience for 34 years. Yeah, that's been the one thing that, you know, it's been, I think Abby and I are spoiled in that sense. We can talk about the success of our short marriage. We're in our fifth year. Um, but so much of it is due to like what you guys mentioned, where you have the support system around you. And I feel so lucky that we have that because there was never um, a doubt in terms of like, oh, even if we're making a dumb decision, are people going to turn their back? That is never going through our head. Um, we always know that no matter what decision we're making, um, whether that was you know well, us getting married when we had no money and just how uh, disillusioned we were, or at least me on how the beginning of that would look, but still the support um, that was there from somebody just makes it so much easier. And, and the same thing you'd said, um, one of the things that I find the most sad is when you're talking to somebody you know, about their significant other, or you're you know, initiating one of their venting sessions or enabling some of that stuff is, yeah, just kind of how sad and how disturbing some of that can be where they're just complaining about this person. And it's complaints that first should be brought up to that person. Um, and, and you can paint this person in a negative light to someone that they're then going to have to interact with in the future. And that was something that Abby and I have always made a priority is that we're never going to bash one another um, outside of, you know, jokes here and there. Um, nothing that is going to be serious or affect anything uh, majorly just so that we can keep each other's integrity and, you know, intact, mm -hmm. I guess. Um, kind of as we move on, my, my next question was, what did you want us kids to see and take from your marriage example? But I honestly think that we already covered most of that. So having a faith-based relationship, um, give and take, some of those things, a lot of sacrificing. Is there any, like, other stuff you guys would throw in there? Well, I, I don't know how profound this is, but my opinion is um, if the better my spouse is, the better I am. If I can help elevate her, it's going to pull me along. And we're a team, you know, that way. So we should be striving um, to encourage each other, to challenge each other, to push each other uh, in, in some ways. Um, and, and then that just raises the bar uh, in, in the marriage. Um, be invested uh, in each other. And be willing to apologize. Mm. I just think that <laughs> is so important too. And in our marriage, Todd is much better at that than me. I tend to take, let things stew and take a little while. And um, am I really the one who's wrong here? Whereas... Uh, <clears throat> When he messes up, he will come to me and apologize and figure out how to make it better. And I just think uh, that humbleness is a huge thing in marriage and the trust that that builds with each other just to be vulnerable with one another and say, man, I, I screwed up. I am so sorry. Um, that, that can take care of a lot of issues. And by doing that when you are uh, sincerely apologizing like that. And I would say also respect is just, you know, huge. So figure out what that, what respect looks like in the eyes of your spouse. And like for Todd, I mean, I need 
to be, like you said, Taylor, talking positively about my man. He's awesome. I don't want to go out to other people and talk negatively about him. And um, so there's just figure out what that niche is and what your spouse needs as far as words of affirmation or doing special things for them or um, whatever that and looks you can, like. You can get into all, all kinds of, of uh, tools and, and things that help, but you know some of the things that we've really based our, our marriage on is the cycle of love and respect. Men are built up by being respected. So I may be making a decision that you know, maybe it's not the best. And if Misty just backs down, or doesn't back down, but just kind of like, okay, we, it's not a big deal. We can run with that. And I feel respected. That builds and encourages me. And in turn, I need to love her. You know, she needs to know that I'm there, that I, that I care, um, and that I value her. And that cycle, and I think sometimes men and women don't speak to each other in, in the language that builds themselves up, which also leads to understanding your spouse's love language is really key because you you know so many couples who are uh, speaking to their spouse in, in their love language and, and so frustrated and, and they don't understand their, their spouse's love language and so we were blessed to just have people teach us this stuff hmm. you know and, and, to, and to be part of you know uh, opportunities where we can learn and implement you know these things because marriage is uh, an investment you know, it's the greatest institution that has ever been created, and, and we need to invest in it. It just doesn't magically work. You, you gotta, sometimes you got to roll your sleeves up and, and, and go to work, and, and there are times where it's smooth sailing, you know, and, and you're just riding this wave, and, and it's fabulous, you know. Um, there's a lot of ups and downs that, that come with that, but if you have these tools and you understand your spouse and you can talk, um, you know, you can get through anything. Yeah, I think maybe a lesson to take from that is, like you've mentioned, the smooth sailing. So maybe smooth sailing is a result of carrying out those tasks effectively. So you're going to have smoother seas if you're treating each other properly. But then also you're better equipping yourself for when there are difficulties. Um, and maybe there's not as many difficulties that are your own doing. Instead, it's just going to battle with each other on an illness or, or a death in the family or whatever it is and you guys are working um, together through that so I think that that yeah that's a good lesson something that I'm taking away from that um, right now that I just wanted to add in there that you now that you brought that up there was something that's always stuck to, with me that one of my uncles Uncle Todd told me very early in my marriage and he was early in his marriage as well and we were just talking one night and he said, I think it's important to treat your marriage like a piano. It's much easier to continue to tune it as you go along versus waiting a long period of time and then trying to tune it. So a piano, if any of you are, are music people, you know that if you just keep that, you do what that piano needs and keep it in tune as it's going, then it's not a big deal. But if you go years without tuning that piano and without touching it, then it is very hard to get that back to where, the way it needs to be. And I think that's so huge in marriage that always stuck with me that, you know, keep doing the little stuff each day instead of letting the time go by and then being in a crisis and going, oh crap, how do we put this back together mm -hmm. again? Yeah, I've seen myself get in cycles like that where I have to 
be conscious about it. So, wow, I think the last three days that Abby and I have been uh, spending time together in the evening has been me on my phone or just watching TV and having to realize like that three days where you haven't interacted with your wife in the evenings could turn into a month if you're not mm -hmm. careful and that just snowballs and so then you're having to fix these big issues um, so that's a really good point um, the next question I want to ask is were there ever any like hiccups or major things that happened I think you guys have done a good job being really transparent with us kids if there was ever issues um, going on with the family but were there ever any that you had felt like you had to hide from us I think we have been pretty transparent with you guys I I do think that one time that was a struggle for us was after Micah the youngest one was born so in about the year 2000 after he was born, I started having all kinds of health problems. And that tied in with having five boys, 15, 10, five, two, and, and newborn. newborn. <clears throat> um, I was dealing with a, a lot of things at home and then was in and out of the hospital with all kinds of health things, trying to figure out what was going on. And at that point, Todd was in full-time youth ministry which was a really weird schedule. And ministry is just, it's a lot of second shift type things. So when kids are out of school, then you take off and you go do meetings with them or sports events or whatever with them. So that would leave me home with all the little ones not feeling well. And so at that point, as we started talking, it was like, we can't, we can't do this job anymore. I mean, you need to find a regular eight to five type of job. And so he did that. There ended up becoming a job. And so he left youth ministry to go into a more traditional type position. And that was very stressful in the sense of, for one, I was not feeling well and we didn't know what kind of diagnosis I was going to be getting at that point. But I also, from my end, and then he can say his end of things, but from my end, I was feeling sort of guilty because I knew he loved the ministry that he was working in. And so I had this guilt in me of, man, I'm the one. You know, if I wouldn't have pushed him, he would not have resigned from that job. It had to be me saying, you need to get out. You know, we need to have a different position going on in our family we can't do this anymore and so I felt some guilt for having um, to do that and sort of having to call him out of the ministry and then on his end how did that look on your end of things yeah I mean that was really a tough time because one I didn't know where my wife's health was going I mean at one point we thought that maybe you were going to have uh, end up with MS and to have a job that you love that you're good at and although youth ministry is a crazy schedule, um, there's just a lot of freedom in that. And so, you know, it was really hard for me to to want to leave that, to want to leave that um, schedule, to want to leave the kids that you really enjoy working with, um, and to have to go to. I ended up going to a eight to five Monday through Friday, and I tell you, it was some of the longest days of my life being in a cubicle. 
Um, a bit, I mean, it was a blessing that the Lord provided that job at the time that we need it. And, and although I had to be um, gently shoved, you know, in the back to, to get there, that's the other beautiful part of our marriage is that we were able to work through that. And, and, and Misty was able to, you know, to help me see that that change needed to happen. Uh, but in the next seven years that, that we had that job, I mean, God did incredible things for us. We built a house. Uh, we raised five kids. We got, you know, one off to college and, and one ready to, to, to go to college and work through your health issues in that, in that time period. And, and um, you know, it, it turned out okay. Mm-hmm. And then that led us into the second time that I would say probably was one of the more stressful times in our marriage was at the end of that seven years, you got laid off. Yeah, in 2008, the company I was working for, everything tightened up in that recession, and I was uh, one of those pieces in the company that was, this was an area that could be cut. And so, you know, I went in and one day and walked out at the end of that day with, uh, you know, basically being downsized. And, and as a, uh, I think that I was, how old was I at that time? Uh, Mid forties, uh, that rocked my world. I mean, I was devastated. I did not uh, think that it would happen to me. I had seven great years of that company was progressing. Um, but you know, a little reality check in terms of you know economics and, and, and how things work, um, and, and was devastated and, and basically needed to be supported by by my wife and, and, and family. And we did not want you kids uh, to see you know dad kind of on, on the edge. It was probably the one time in my life where I really was struggling, um, you know, with depression. And, and just really, you know, what do I do in this economy when GM is laying off 4,500 people that have my degree? Mm-hmm. You know, where am I gonna, where am I gonna find a job? And so that was a very, very difficult time. Um, but uh, yeah, it was we, a, we got through it. It was a difficult time in our life, and yet it wasn't a difficult time in our marriage, right? right. I mean, I, right. I feel like that was, that's how God works for us as we look back. A lot of times people will see that in their lives that it's like the times that are the most difficult and the challenges that come up then you see things either totally fall apart or you see things really growing at that point and I look back at that time and even in the midst of it uh, remember different times where the unity between the two of us and just the closeness that we got during that time of crisis was really a building time in our marriage instead of a crumbling time for yeah. us. And, you know, men are supposed to be, you know, put your shoulders back and take on anything. And we, in reality, are the most fragile creations ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, it was just uh, a huge blessing uh, to have the support of my wife, have support of church members and, and, and family members, and, and to know that that was a safe place. This is a place where I could be real, where I could uh, have support um, and, and not be, um, you know, able to, I mean, I basically, um, you know, kind of had to crumble a little bit before I got built back up. And um, I, you can see where that could easily destroy a marriage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm glad you 
shared that about Guy's dad because I, I always give you like a hard time. Um, I think I said it in my um, vows at my wedding. It said something like, I'm an emotional guy and I get that from my dad. And that's a joke, but I'm thankful for that, um, that I can feel uh, confident enough in myself or whatever it is um, to be emotional. And so that definitely like helps in my interactions with Abby too. Um, I want to jump back to your health issues, mom. And we were talking a little bit earlier about some memories. So it's just really interesting to get the perspective of a couple of my brothers and all of us as we think back to certain points in time. Um, but one of the things I remember is you were in really rough shape. I mean, you were, there was one point where you were having like debilitating migraines, fevers, like inability to walk even. So there are all these things. And like you said, I think I was 10 at the time, not really knowing what was going on, but that there was just a scene that I remember where dad was actually like physically carrying you out to the couch. And at the time I was just like, well, it's just going to get, it's just mom. She's sick. You know, she probably has the flu or whatever. Not really taking into account, well, you've had the flu for like a month or whatever it was. <laughs> um, but just in that dimly lit living room, dad carrying me to the couch and just, it even registered with me at that time. Like, I'm going to do that someday. Like, that's going to be the type of husband that I'll be someday. So dad, I'm getting emotional. Thank you. Um, but that really sticks out to me. And so I'm just so thankful for um, that example that was set. So as we're kind of wrapping up here a little bit, just give like a brief synopsis of what things look like now. What are the kids doing? But very quickly, if you can. Like, what's life like? Uh, we're in uh, both in full-time ministry now. So after that little stint of being out of the ministry, we ended up both getting back into it. So youth youth ministry is keeping us very busy. Our youngest now is Micah, and he's a senior this year. And so for me, I'm looking at a really a change in my life as far as not having kids here. I mean, well, him too, but I think it's affecting me more. I'm starting to think about it more and come to the realization of, man, I've had children in this house for since 1984. And... That's a lot of years of little ones running around and bigger ones bringing their friends and things like that. And so I think this is a time of transition for us, really. Yeah, it's going to be a new stage of life. We have, you know, uh, a married son and two granddaughters in South Carolina, you and Abby in Traverse City, Zach in Grand Rapids, Harrison in his sophomore year in Kalamazoo at Western, and who knows where Micah will choose to, to go to college. And so we feel like you know, next summer we're going to be all spread out and, and not quite knowing what that looks like as empty nesters. And, and although I'm maybe not as freaked out about it as mom is, I'm kind of looking forward to some quiet. Um, it's going to be very different. You know, how do we parent? Because in our opinion, parenting never ends. I mean, we love you guys and we want to be as invested as we can, you know, in what's going on with you. Um, so it's going to look different. And so how do we how do we divide and conquer and, and still be involved in all of your lives when some of you guys are, you know, you're not in Unionville anymore? All right. Yeah, that's one thing I'm definitely looking forward to. Um, I can totally understand the maybe sense of loss or the uncertainty or sadness that comes with just a major change in life. But I'm excited just to almost have like two new friends. So we're going to be kind of <laughs> shepherding each other through, um, through this next stage of life together. We'll be traveling to South Carolina hosting you guys when you come visit us um, on the west side. So I think it's really going to be um, a lot of fun as we 
kind of transition together because yeah, it's going to be weird for me too. When I come home, there's not going to be um, little brothers here anymore, mm -hmm. but I really appreciate you guys um, getting on. I know it was a little nerve wracking at times, um, a little emotional, but I think the message that you guys had to share is so important. Um, the importance of faith in your guys' lives, um, it just holding each other up, um, treating the other person uh, with respect and with love um, is so important. And so I hope that um, the listeners will take away a lot of these great lessons and uh, kind of create stronger relationships in their own lives too. So once again, thanks for being on, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Love you, buddy. Love you too. Bye-bye.